You're listening to a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We rely on the financial support of listeners like yourself to keep going. If you'd like to support diverse voices on your radio, go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Stay tuned to hear the rest of your 3CR podcast. Evil minds that plot destruction of death's construction In the fields of bodies burning As the war machine keeps turning Death and hatred to mankind Poisoning their brainwashed minds Welcome to the Anarchist World this week Broadcast across Australia on the National Community Radio Satellite. Listen to the Anarchist Woolless Week, Australia's sacred cow slaughterhouse. Listen to analysis of local, national, international events. Listen to analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Here we go. This is the Anarchist World This Week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. This program is streaming live on 3cr.org.au. The program is podcast. You can access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au. If you wonder what anarchy is all about, anarchos without rulers. What's the anarchist project to create a society without rulers? What gives rulers the power to determine what happens on the planet Earth without taking your... Uh, needs into consideration, inequalities in power and wealth. So the anarchist struggle is a struggle. That's right. It's a struggle to devolve power, that's share power, and it's a struggle to hold wealth in common. So if you're involved in any of those struggles or um, have sympathy towards those struggles, well then, whether you acknowledge it or not, you are an anarchist, even if you live in a closet because your mummy's worried. Or daddy's worried. But let's start off on some interesting things today. Uh, as we uh, broadcast, the uh, international, there's a blockade down at the Melbourne um, Centre, Convention Centre, against the mining community. And there's been a little bit of uh, rough and tumble over the last 48 hours. And uh, people have been surprised. Why would you be surprised? We've seen the uh, media, both the government guild at ABC and the corporate-owned media, uh, with the uh, government representatives and the police representatives, you know, have a, have a field day in terms of uh, describing what's happening down there as some type of hugely violent protest. No Molotov cocktails, no gunshots, a bit of violence from the police, but that's to be expected. They apply the law. Uh, in many ways, the whole protest has been set up in a way as to maximise interaction between police and protesters in order to discredit protesters. Over 50 have already been arrested. Pepper spray has been used. Horses have been used. And I'd really like to talk about the use of horses in the 21st century uh, in terms of crowd control. Because two protesters have been charged with uh, animal cruelty for slapping a horse as the horse tried to uh, clamber over them. But that's a different matter. So, horses. 
Now, those of you who are regular listeners to this program may remember that we are, you know, we'll be celebrating the Eureka Rebellion on the 3rd of December. And one of the pivotal moments in the Eureka Rebellion was the stand of the Pike men in the Eureka Stockade on the 3rd of December, 1854. Now, horses have been used for centuries to intimidate and divide people. So there's questions about animal cruelty, and it's an interesting uh, question to talk about in the uh, spring racing carnival season, especially uh, with the re- revelations, which everybody knew about anyway in the industry regarding the uh, what happens to racehorses who don't uh, kind of make the grade. They go to the knackery and become glue or pet meat. We've all known that for years, but nobody's really spoken about it. Is the cruelty involved to horses by a police force which continues to enslave horses, there's no other word, in order to use them to intimidate and divide crowds and protesters. When you actually think about the barbarity, not just to the uh, protesters, as you get this huge, you know, uh, multi-ton beast kind of walking through, trampling people, but the actual terror, despite all the training which is provided, which is experienced by the horses. And to see Victoria Police use horses for crowd control and intimidation in the 21st century really raises important questions about animal cruelty institutionalised animal cruelty, let alone the damage which can be done to individuals. And Victoria has a history over the decades of using horses, the Victoria Police, in an indiscriminate fashion in an attempt to intimidate and divide crowds and protesters. It's part of the armaments they have, considering that in the 21st century they have water cannon and pepper spray and riot squads with shields and all these other apparatus at their disposal, including deadly force, rubber bullets, real bullets, automatic rifles, guns, and the list goes on and on you wonder about why they continue to continue these cruel practices, not just in terms of the damage which is done to protesters, but the damage which is done to generations of horses as they are... I mean, the police can resign. If they're unhappy with their situation, they can resign. The protesters, if it's a little bit, you know, a bit hot, too hot to handle, they can move away. Not in all cases, but in the majority of cases. But the horses have no say. They're basically slaves to the state. And getting back to the Eureka Rebellion on the 3rd of December, I'd like to uh, issue an invitation to all of you to join us. This is the 17th year 
of the Reclaim the Radical Spirit of the Eureka Rebellion celebrations, which have occurred in Ballarat since 2002, so I think it makes it the yeah, 17th year, that's right. 4am to 10pm, and we'll have some information up on the website in the next uh, week or so regarding these celebrations. But I'd like to talk about the role of horses in the Eureka Rebellion. Because the Victoria Police to a man were mounted on horses as well as obviously elements of the British military which were also involved in the the, the route of the Eureka Stockaders. And in the middle of the stockade we had 30 men, around 30 men, mainly Irish, who were used to the British way of dispersing crowds by using horses. And they were described as the pikemen. Now just remember, it's dark, there's shots being fired everywhere, there's horses galloping towards you, you don't actually have a gun because there aren't enough guns to go around. You're holding a pike. And a pike basically is a rudimentary uh, rudimentary fashioned uh, pole, normally made of metal, about, ooh, about three metres long, possibly four metres. And at the end, there's a small cutting curb. And the role of the Pike men in the Eureka Stockade is as the Victoria Police and the Victorian and the British Army charged at them with the horses, they used the pikes to cut the bridle of the horse so the person on the horse could be unseated in that battle. And the pikemen's stand meant that the death toll among the Eureka Stockaders was greatly reduced because as they stood their ground, as the horses came thundering towards them, holding their pikes in front of them, most of the Eureka Stockaders were able to escape into the surrounding countryside. But half, over half, of the people that were killed during the Eureka Rebellion were pikemen. And a rough guess, about 15 to 20 men were killed within 10 minutes as they held up those spikes. So the point I'm trying to make is the use of horses is a, is a 19th century oddity. The state has many mechanisms via which to control crowds, as we see around the world. Many mechanisms, and it doesn't need to use lethal force to disperse, disperse small crowds of people because whatever, whatever you say is the number of people at the IMARC uh, protest wouldn't be more than a 1,000 at its height. So you've got hundreds of police, police horses, capsicum spray and in me, me, many regards, you know, what we are seeing is basically a trap that has been set by the Victoria Police for the demonstrators because what they want is those 
magic images in the fourth estate and the mass media of people, you know, being dispersed by the state. And when you've got a unison, you know, an almost 99.9% unison chant that these are violent protesters, the state is doing what it needs to do, the mining sector is basically a good citizen. Because this issue is not just about climate change. This issue is about the rights of people to actually object to mining. It's about the use of the mining sector to exploit people in this country and overseas. And to me, the most important part is the fact that the mining sector is making billions and billions and billions of dollars at the expense of the Australian people because we have a privatised mining sector in this country and the amount of money which falls into the Treasury as a result of the activity of miners is minimal in comparison to the profits which are extracted from minerals and resources which theoretically belong to the people of this country. Obviously, initially to the first Australians, the First Nations people, and then to us. So here we have these parasites fattening their pockets and the, and the wallets of their shareholders by exploiting resources which we which belong to all of us. So this anti-mining protest, you can see on a, a number of levels. You can see it in terms of climate change and coal. You can see it in terms of the exploitation of developing nations. And we will be speaking to a West Papua activist in a, in a few minutes directly from the blockade site. You can actually see it in terms of the exploitation of workers in the industry with the destruction of the trade union movement. And you, actually, and you can actually see it in terms of the theft which is occurring from First Nations people and the rest of us in this country by these highly centralised capitalist monopolies who only have one function – to increase profits irrespective of the human, social, environmental and most importantly of all, national costs. No wonder we see you know, CRA and BHP embarking on an advertising program, which will be tax deductible of course, telling us what wonderful citizens they are. When in reality, when you look at the way they treat people around the globe, as they go about their so-called job of extracting mineral wealth from the earth, you begin to understand that these are basically criminal cartels. I know it's a terrible word to use, criminal cartels. And they're criminal cartels for three major reasons. One, they don't respect the sovereign rights of the people whose land they're using. Two, they're not willing to give the people whose lands they are using uh, a direct uh, profit. And three, 
they exploit the nation as a whole by using this country's uh, so-called uh, investor-friendly laws to minimise illegally their tax to the uh, lowest level. So on all levels, we as Australians, not just as international citizens, but we as Australians are losing on all fronts. That's right, all fronts. And to see the propaganda exercise that is being peddled today in the corporate-owned media and the government guild at ABC and the words coming out of the mouths of politicians and the images at and the images you know highlights this so i think what we need to do is we need to move across to the blockade technically of course and speak to a West Papuan uh, representative who'll be addressing the blockaders in the next uh, few minutes. So hopefully within the next uh, 60 seconds, Mr O'Neill will be able to uh, speak to us about the reason uh, West Papuans are actually involved in this blockade and what the mining community actually is doing to their country and how it's instrumental in their struggle for independence and justice is, is, is based on them taking on this mining community which you know has washed their hands of the blood that has been spilt in West Papua over the last 60 years as West Papuans struggle to obtain independence. So... While we wait for the little little bits of technical things, just like to remember three things that this blockade is about. We're talking about criminal cartels. One, they exploit the local people. Two, they exploit us as a nation and as a community. Our politicians, our representatives, give them carte blanche to make profits, irrespective of the human, social and national costs. Mr O'Neill, how are you? Mr O'Neill, well, we can actually hear a little bit of a... Can they hear us? Hello. Hello, hello, how are you? Hey, Joe, yeah, I'm good. Good, good. good. Could you tell us why the West Papua Independence Movement is is supporting this blockade? What's the mining sector done to the West Papua? uh, yeah, because BP Explorations is one of the mining uh, mining companies participants in, the, uh, in this IMAC. Yes. And as we know, um, in West Papua, there is uh, BP Bintuni LNG expansion project where, you know, they are the, the, the major donor to militarism in West Papua. And they have a program where they use indigenous West Papuan people to spying on West Papuan people. And they give so many injustice to the local Bintuni indigenous people and they the the facility health facility that have been provided to indigenous people there is is um below standard. Um there's one clinic for three thousand Bintuni people where there's no electricity supply for three months and there's epidemic of um tuberculosis, HIV and malaria where people need help 
well, they can go anywhere. And then the living standard of the people is still far away from comfort. People still go fishing for life. So that's why we're here, the community, the West Papuan community, to stand with our people back home and then in solidarity with other indigenous people and other communities that have been oppressed with this mining and energy companies in the world. That's why we're here. Tell us about tell us about Freeport, the, uh, the US-owned company at Freeport. What role has that had in the subjugation of uh, West Papua? Um, sorry, can you repeat? Freeport. Tell us about Freeport, the Freeport oh, mine. Oh, yeah, yeah. How, how, yes. that, how that has basically uh, been used oh, yeah. to destroy West Papua. Truly. Truly. Um, Freeport Mine, they, were, they signed a contract with Indonesia on 1967. Right, and the referendum of West Papua people happened on 1969, where they claim already West Papua be part of Indonesia, and on during the referendum, they only pick 1,025 people out of 800,000 population West Papua population at that time, and since then there was more than 500,000 West Papua die due to this, you know, corporate interest and natural resources. Um, exploitations in West Papua. They create this uh, horizontal conflict propaganda, you know, blaming our Liberation Army, kill some of the mining workers, but there's no such a thing. It's all of the interest of the military in, 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 in Indonesia. And as we know, all the military mafia now is in the cabinet of Indonesia. New um, uh, second, second term of uh, Jokowi. So there will be no chance for us the grassroots activists, no matter environmental uh, activists or human rights activists in Indonesia, there will be more kidnapped, more murders. And then, yeah, we, we need to hide, fight harder than before for the next five years. Right. Well, thank you very much for that update. I understand you need to speak to the blockaders in the next few minutes. So we, yes, wish, you, we wish the West Papuan community all the best in their independence struggle as well as the blockaders. Uh, to look after themselves, okay? Thank, thank you. Thank you, John. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. All the best. Thanks. <laughs> well, there we are, direct from the front line. So don't be blinded by the uh, so-called discussion about a violent protest. When you talk about violence, there's institutionalised violence and there's a little bit of pushing and shoving. There's institutionalised violence, which leads to climate change and a climate emergency and all the things that go with that, the human uh, issues. The inst- there's the institutionalised violence, which sees uh, Indigenous communities and uh, developing nations being exploited by these uh, criminal mining cartels. And there's institutional violence, which sees Australians robbed, robbed blindly, robbed every day of the resources, of the wealth which is in this this country. It's robbed, not only Indigenous Australians, but each and every one of us. So in many ways, what is happening down there at the Melbourne Convention Centre highlights all these issues. So uh, if you want some real news, keep listening to the Anarchist World this week. If you want the sanitised version, listen to the... Listen to the Government Guild at ABC. And if you want outright lies and fake news, the commercial networks are yours. And what I love is those images of uh, 
horses trampling people and uh, underneath it says violent protests. And as I said before, I'm for the horses. It's about time they were retired from Victoria Police. They've got enough bloody armaments to start a civil war. So uh, give the horses a break. Give the horses a break. Leave them out of this human, you know, misery which we're creating. All right, let's move on. Now, I'd like to remind people about this public forum. That's right, public forum. And there will be no horses here, I think. No, there shouldn't be. Public forum. Think global, act global. Saturday the 2nd of November, 12pm to 4pm, free entry. That's right. Those poor delegates that have got to get into the mining conference had to pay for the privilege. Free entry to the Think Global, Global, Act Local uh, public forum. At the Willis Room, that's if you're in Melbourne, Willis, Judge Willis, a judge who some thought to be cracked, but that's a different story we could speak about as we get closer to uh, Tundaminawe and Mulboyhina Day on the 20th of January. Willis Room, Whitehorse Civic Centre, taking the struggle out to the Melbourne's conservative eastern suburbs, 379 to 397, Whitehorse Road, Nunawadi. That's right, Willis Room, Whitehorse Civic Centre, 379 to 397, Whitehorse Road, Nunawadi. Four speakers, panel discussion, question and answer, oh, lunch, 1pm to 2pm. You buy your own, not provided, okay? We don't want to be a... The organisers tell me that uh, they've organised for a, a few local shops to uh, deliver, if you put in an order, but lunch is from 1pm uh, to 2pm. Between 12 and 1, the two speakers will be, obviously there'll be the MC, Acknowledgement of Country, and a bit of an introduction, but the major speakers before lunch will be Jessica Harrison from the Unemployed Workers' Union and Robbie Forp, uh, Aborig- well-known Aboriginal activist. After lunch... Um, Jack Verdens from Friends of Public Housing will be speaking and uh, bringing up the uh, rear before the panel discussion and question and answer. Is yours truly, Joseph Tosco, and I'm representing public interest before corporate interest. So come along, 12pm to 4pm, meet some uh, fellow activists, get involved and uh, get involved in this huge social movement which is beginning to engulf the world and it happens locally but it has global implications just like this uh, mining blockade global implications although it's a local struggle in melbourne now i'd like to talk about popular uprisings a revolution the word revolution comes from the word revolve things revolve they go round round they revolve and spontaneous popular uprisings are the petrol the oil the solar power of radical social change and that radical social change doesn't come about by organised political parties working on behalf of the state. It comes about from social movements 
whose direct experiences of life teaches them they cannot trust the ruling classes. Their direct experience. And at the end of the day, it's based on their ability to survive in a dignified manner. Their ability of their children and their children's children need to survive. And across the globe, we are seeing popular uprisings as a direct result of economic policies which were introduced around the world through the World Trade Authority and a number of other so-called you know, international and national organisations which have concentrated power and wealth in fewer and fewer hands. We live on a planet with finite resources. We have to deal with the issue of increasing population growth. And when eight people, that's eight, you've got ten fingers on your bloody hand, count eight. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. When eight people have more wealth in their hands than 3.5 billion, I'm not talking about a million, I'm talking about 3.5 billion, half the world's population, you know that the deregulation, privatisation, globalisation, corporatisation revolution, which has swept the globe, including Australia, does not deliver. Does not deliver. And what we are seeing with these popular uprisings is the breakdown of sectarian divisions and class divisions. And that's what a popular uprising is. When the needs of a community, when the needs of a nation state, when the needs of a people override the things that divide them. And it's nothing that's been more stark than what's been happening in Lebanon where mass protests, which have crossed rigid sectarian lines, have led to the resignation of the government of Lebanon. We see the same thing in Chile. But in Chile, which has a history of violently oppressing its own people, we see the military coming out of the barracks, being deployed on the streets in an attempt to intimidate local people from putting their interests before the interest, vested interests.
And we see it in Iraq, that basket case Iraq, which was created by the uh, intervention of the coalition of the idiots, not the willing. Well, we've seen the Iraqi government kill almost 300 protesters by the indiscriminate use of firepower and the use of death squads that are used to intimidate people. And in all these countries, including Sudan and other countries we've seen in the last 12 months take up that cudgel, we have seen economic issues which has been the driving force for these popular movements. And it's about wealth. It's about power. It's not about religion. It's not about race. It's not about gender. It's about power and wealth. And it's about crossing those divides. And public interest before corporate interest was established in 2015 for that very reason. And if you actually look at the application form, you actually look at the membership criteria, not only is it based on direct democratic principles, membership is open to people of all religious beliefs and those who have no religious beliefs. We welcome people of all races, nationalities, genders and sexual orientation. We believe all human beings are born with inalienable rights and liberties no government can legislate away or corporations take away. I keep saying, we are the opposition. Our moment in the sun is coming. We are the opposition. Our moment is coming. But it won't come without your participation. What has seen the resignation of the Lebanese government, the removal of a hated dictator in Sudan, the continuing protests in Iraq, the protests in Hong Kong, is people concerned not only about their economic future, but about their liberties their rights and liberties. So uh, we are entering the 21st century on a wave of popular revolt. Initially, we have, as we have in Australia, people who are disengaged, disinterested, apolitical. It's all beyond. But as the economic pressures rise and rise and rise and rise which we are seeing in Australia, where one-third of people rely on Social Security benefits to survive, whereas these economic pressures increase, we can actually see that it's not the differences that divide us, which is the critical issue, and that's the critical issue we all think it is today, you know, It's what unites us, is that ability to survive in a dignified manner. Think about it. 
Think about joining public interest before corporate interest. Sometimes I feel as if I'm uh, talking to the deaf because they can deal with protests, small protests. They can deal with the IMARC protests. They've got the police there. They can't deal with 10,000 protests. They need to make political accommodations. They can deal with a few hundred people trying to highlight the activities of the criminal cartels that run the mining sector. They can deal with that. They can deal with violent demonstrators. That's what they're there for. The pliant media, they can deal with that. But they can't deal with thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people demanding a little bit of respect and a little bit of equality and a little bit of a fair go. They can't deal with that. If the Morrison government thinks they can continue to squeeze working people, trade unionists, people who rely on government benefits, uh, social security benefits to survive, well, then they need to think again. Because as you see around the world, the people united will never be defeated. And the key is for us to cross those lines. At the end of the day, it's that economic imperative, that ability for us to survive that drives us as a human being, as a human species. You listen to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. This program is streaming live on 3cr.org.au. The program is podcast. You can access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au. Don't forget the public forum on Saturday, the uh, 2nd of November. If you're in uh, Melbourne, think global, act local. You don't have to ring anybody up. Just turn up midday to 4 p.m. Now, interestingly, I've been involved with uh, Defending Extend Public Housing and uh, Public Housing Everybody's Business, which are both uh, public interest before corporate interest initiatives. And we've been raising the issue of public housing in Victoria, which is the state I'm familiar with now since December 2016, with minimal success. Let's be realistic, minimal success. You know, although we had a 10-day protest, there weren't hundreds of thousands there, were there? Although we had a protest, uh, 20, we've had a number of 24-hour protests on the steps of the Victorian Parliament House, not millions of people there, and our little uh, vigils on, the, on a Wednesday between 5.30 6.30pm, barely anybody there. But interestingly, the issue gets worse, not better. And the, legisl- the Victorian Legislative Council, well, the Legal and Social Issues Committee of the Legislative Council, is conducting an inquiry into the state of homelessness in Victoria, which I've been attended, you know, I've been invited to address as, uh, as part of Defend and Extend Public Housing and Public Housing Everybody's Business. Now, I've been speaking to members of, uh, some members of this committee, and it's quite interesting that in Victoria, there are 300 community, 300 organisations, let's not use the word community, 300 organisations which have a stake in the homeless industry and many of these organisations make a handsome profit out of 
homelessness. And obviously, the committee is being inundated by submissions from the usual suspects. The people who are making a buck out of homelessness but not dealing with homelessness. And the Legal and Social Issues Committee of Victorian Legislative Council wants other people to make submissions. They don't want the usual suspects dominating the process and then having to, and then having to make the same boring, repetitive, useless, inconsequential, irrelevant recommendations at the end of the inquiry. And everybody says whippy do you know whippy do somebody's doing something about homelessness as they step over another homeless body in the city or the suburbs during the week so i'm asking you that's right you why owe you to make a submission to the inquiry make a submission if you want further information Regarding the inquiry, don't ring me. No point. But I'm going to give you a phone number to ring to find out how to make a submission. And I'm also going to give you a a web address to look at. Because we need different solutions. And our solution, the solution I'll be putting forward, is very simple. You can remove homelessness tomorrow if you're willing to allocate 10%. 10% of stamp duty revenue in this in the state of Victoria 600 million towards providing permanent accommodation through a spot purchasing program which would purchase units and homes across the state so if you've got ideas if you don't want the usual suspects who make a profit out of homelessness, a pretty penny out of homelessness, by using government money to so-called, you know, wallpaper the homeless crisis by providing services and case managers and temporary accommodation and drop-in centres, and the list goes on and on, well, this is your chance. Don't bitch to me all the time. Your chance. The number. 03-8682-2928. The address, the web address, home Homelessness inquiry. One word. Homelessness inquiry at parliament.vic.gov.au. Homelessness inquiry at parliament.vic.gov.au. And that number 03 86 82 2928. There's no point complaining if the committee at the end of the process puts out the same recommendations as the only people who've made submissions were those that make a buck 
out of the homeless industry. You listen to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. This program is streaming live on 3cr.org.au. Second rate. That's right, the Anarchist World this week, second rate radio program. Considering the competition, second rate is more than good enough. I mean, the corporate owned media, government gelled at ABC, competition with the Anarchist World this week. Come on. They're the alternative media. You've got the fake, fake news media, you know, they make it up, irrespective of the pictures, you know. Police wielding batons, violent protest. <laughs> right. You know, you've got the fake news people, the corporate-owned media, they're good at fake news. And then, and then you've, got, you've got the uh, government girl at ABC kind of trying to be balanced, but always coming out on the side of the state, the corporate sector. You know, some issues they run with because they're easy. They're easy. They're so ridiculously horrible, they're easy. I'll give you an example. I'll give you an example of what's wrong with this society. I'll give you an example of how the capitalist system works. And it's a disgusting example. It makes me my gut turn. Okay? Now, we had a four-year inquiry into institutional... I've got a question. A listener wants to know who are eight richest people on earth. Look it up. I look it up. I look it up for you. But why should I do everything for you? You got access to a computer? Look it up. This is what gets me, you know. I'm sure people mean well, but you, the whole thing about a popular uprising is you don't look to leaders. You do it yourself. You can use leaders, but do it yourself. I'll look it up for you next week. All right. But in the interim, you can look it up. It's easy these days. You don't have to go to a library. You can look it up on the net. World's Rich List. Have a look at it. Now, let's get back to where we were. Okay, I've even forgotten where we were. Ah, second rate. Second rate. I'll give you an example. I'll give you an example of how, how it works in Australia. Now, we've had a four-year inquiry into institutional child abuse, okay? And everybody cried and... You know, and I'm not trying to make it, you know, demean what happened. It was good, good. It was out in the open. People understood. People are going to prison. People are being punished. But part of the process was a process of compensation, which the federal government agreed to, all right? Compensation. There are about 5,400 people which have applied for compensation. About 600 have received the 12 months after the bloody gates opened. And the compensation system is based like this. Organisations who may have been responsible for uh, child abuse are supposed to voluntarily, that's the big word, voluntarily sign on, okay? And then the government asks them to cough up some money in compensation, okay? But if the organisation doesn't voluntarily sign on, the government can't ask them to cough up compensation. The person involved doesn't receive compensation. Or if the person involved can't exactly remember the institution, so why didn't we go around it the other way? And this is what's wrong with this society. It's always this way. 
It's not the other way. And the other way is very simple. Why not the state? The state. Pay compensation up front to people whose case has been verified. And then the state hassles the responsible party for that compensation, a little bit like taxation. Oh, no. Oh, no. It's a voluntary system. They've got a volunteer to sign up. Come on. It's ridiculous. It's the same with our society, second rate. If you've got money, I can assure you, you can get the best education possible for your kiddies, subsidised by the Australian taxpayer, which I find funny. If you've got money, you can get the best healthcare money combined, subsidised by the taxpayer through the... Uh, the $6 billion which is paid to the private health insurance industry, which is basically a uh, scam in the majority of cases, where people find themselves with tens of thousands of dollars out-of-pocket costs, especially people with chronic disabilities who, who can't really use the private sector because it likes to cherry-pick the more profitable cases. Education, health, arts, roads... Second rate, second rate, second rate, second rate, because we allow it to be second rate. Because we think that a $10 tax cut or a few thousand dollars in franking credits is the answer to all our problems. And as we've seen with the reduction in interest rates and the tax cuts, which supposedly are flowing into people's pockets, not much has happened. Economy hasn't been kick-started. Not much has happened. It's a second-rate system, and we accept this second-rate system. We have a second-rate social security system, which tortures people on social security benefits, makes them jump through hoops, removes benefits from people who need them, treats them like criminals... We have a second-rate payment system where tens of thousands of people have their wages stolen on a regular basis. And although the corporate-owned media and the government-gilded ABC is very good about, you know, little peripheral issues, a little investigation here, a little investigation there, a Royal Commission here, a Royal... But when it comes to the central issue of the deficiencies of a capitalist system, deficiencies of neoliberalism, a system which puts the interests of the, f- the few before the many, where are those exposés? Where are the different voices? You can hear me on the anarchist will this week, but I can assure you you'll never hear me on the government guild at ABC or the corporate-owned media because the messages we have to sell is a little bit different to the messages they sell. The message they sell is to, well, the system is fundamentally good. It's good that the mining sector, you know, is privatised. It's good that everything is privatised. It'll it'll all work out in the wash. It's all good. It's all good. But there's a few deficiencies, and we'll raise those deficiencies. Where are the speakers who talk about the 
inability of a capitalist system to tackle the issues which are currently fore and front of most people's mind. Stability of income, the ability to have a job, the changing climate, the increasing divisions in our society, and the list goes on and on. It is not there. And you won't hear those voices. There are many voices in the wilderness who have a lot to say, but you will not hear those voices except on programs like The Anarchist World This Week. You've been listening to The Anarchist World This Week broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. Now, a few things just to remind you about. One... The Think Global, Act Local Public Forum on Saturday, that's this Saturday, the 2nd of November, 12pm to 4pm, 3 entry, Willis Room, Whitehorse Civic Centre, 379 to 397 Whitehorse Road, Nunawadin. An afternoon of serious discussion. No freebies, no door prizes, serious discussion, serious organisation. Then don't forget the 10th, that's right, November the 10th. A few of us, a few dozen, half a dozen, who knows, be turning up at the Murchison Cemetery, the War Cemetery, to pay our respects to Francesco Fantin, an anarchist militant who was murdered by fascists in an internment camp in South Australia, Camp Lovedale, whose remains are in that mausoleum. And on that day, uh, people from around the country come to pay their respects to internees and prisoners of war, Italian internees and prisoners of war who died in camps around Australia during World War II. There'll be over 220 graves. Come along at around 10am. There's an official uh, function, which includes a Catholic mass and the Italian government strutting their thing. But after all that, at 12 o'clock, we have our own little ceremony for Francesco Fantin. It's good to get there early because it's hard to get into the mausoleum you know, after 12, but if you get there early, around 10, it's reasonably easy before everything starts. And then we have lunch on the riverbank. That number again, if you want to talk to me, 0439 395 489. 0439 395 489. That uh, phone number for the Homeless Inquiry in Victoria, 0386 822928. Web page homelessnessinquiry at parliament.vic.gov.au. You can write to me at Post Office Box 20 Parkville 3052. Join public interest before corporate interest, pipsy.net. Download the application form. You can um, look at the Facebook pages, Joseph Toscano, Toscano for the Public. You can look at my YouTube presentations, uh, public interest before corporate interest, YouTube. Don't look at the Twitter stream, haven't done any for a while. I find it particularly Boring and useless thing. But that number again, 0439 395 489. See you at the forum, Saturday the 2nd of November, 12pm to 4pm. Listen in to the Anarchist World this week on your local community radio station next week. Evil minds that plot destruction Sorcerer of death's construction An analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Anarchist World this week. Australia's Sacred Cow Slaughterhouse, 10am every Wednesday, 
Listen to The Anarchist World this week for an up-to-date analysis of local, national and international events. Poisoning their brainwashed minds. Oh, larger! You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.